just wondering if you have your Bibles with you tonight, whether you'd turn to a passage in the Bible. Just see if I can find it here. All right. My notes from last week here. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verses 10 and 11. Isaiah 59 verses 10 and 11, we read these words. It says, No wonder we grope like blind people and stumble along. Even at the brightest noontime we fall down as though it were dark. We look for justice, but it is nowhere to be found. We look to be rescued, but it is far away from us. For our sins are piled up before the Lord and testify against us. Yes, we know what sinners we are. We know that we have rebelled against the Lord. We have turned our backs on God. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, we read these words. It says, if the good news that we preach is veiled from anyone, it is a sign that they are perishing. Satan, the God of this evil world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon them. Now, these two verses are talking about a blindness, but they're not talking about a physical blindness. They're talking about another sort of blindness that affects many Australians today. In fact, the Bible talks about blindness 92 times, and 29 of those times, it's not talking about a physical blindness. It's talking about a spiritual blindness that affects many Australians. You know, one of my heroes of the faith is a guy called Dwight L. Moody, an early American evangelist and preacher, a mighty man of God. And uh, every day of his life, Moody had committed to share his faith with at least one other person. By the time he died, it was said that Moody had personally led 70,000 people to a faith in Christ that way. At one time, he was in London for a series of meetings. And he shared that as he was listening in this particular meeting, there was a young guy sharing. And this young man just captivated him. Something about this young man drew him in. And as he listened, this young man told his life how when he was a child, his mother took him to the doctor. And the doctor turned to his mother and said, listen, there is no hope for your son. He is completely blind and will be till death. And his mother just broke down in tears thinking about the hard life her son would have living as a blind man through the 1800s. But as this young man grew up, he came to a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And he made Christ not just saviour, but he made him lord of his life, gave him total control. And God led this young man to translate the Bible into Braille, not only in his own language, but in 12 separate languages. After the meeting, Moody met this young man, and this is what he wrote. He said, physically, this young man was blind, but spiritually, he had 20-20 vision. And I believe tonight, looking around, you look fine to me, but spiritually, there is a blindness in many of our lives. We are completely blind to the good news of the gospel. We are completely blind to what Jesus came and did on the cross to set us free from the sin in our life. We are completely blind to the fact that we can know without a doubt we're going to heaven when we die. To so many of the wonderful promises in God's word, we are completely blind. In fact, the Bible goes further than that. It says in Revelation these words. It says, you say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Now, how many of us say that to God? I don't need God. I don't need Christ. I don't need faith. I've got my family. I've got my career. I've got my sport. I've got my money. I've got my portfolio. I don't need God. I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But this is Almighty God's response when he hears us say that. He says, you know what I see when I look at your life? I see that you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor and blind and naked. 
Now, if it was anyone else using words like that, we'd be pretty offended. But Almighty God looks at our lives and he says, without first having a rich relationship with me, your life is wretched, it is miserable, it is poor and blind and naked. You know, friends, there are many things today that blind us to our need of Christ. And I believe one of the big ones today is in the area of possessions, in the area of wealth, seeking seeking things in our life. You know, uh, we, today we've got television shows, we've got magazines, we've got radio programs, seminars. We've got a wealth of resources where we can learn to increase our wealth. You know, in fact, the number of millionaires in Australia has doubled in the last five years in Australia. At last count, there was 188,200 Aussies that fell into the millionaire category. But the Bible says real life is not measured by how much we own. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. You know, right now in America, there's a guy called Ira Rennett. And Ira Rennett made his fortune by designing the Humvee military jeep, very popular around the world, and it's very, uh, very wealthy man. And right now he's building the largest house in America. And this house has got 20,000 square metres. It's got 25 bedrooms, 18 bathrooms, a playhouse with two bowling alleys and a 20-car garage. But not to be outdone by that is one of the richest men in the world, the Sultan of Brunei. And right now he's built an incredible palace. And this palace has got 1,788 rooms, including 257 lavatories, if you can believe it. But the Bible says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. No, but their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You know, I think back to a number of years ago when I was first starting in ministry and I was in Brisbane and uh, after a Sunday morning outreach meeting, we decided to go out for lunch. So we went out to a Sizzler's restaurant. How many people have been to Sizzler's here tonight? Quite a few. They've closed many down around the Australia, but those smorgasbord-style restaurants where you, you go backwards and forwards. I don't know if you're like me, but uh, before I realised that I've had too much, I've been backwards and forwards that many times I'm about to explode. And it happened again this morning. I was backwards and forwards and I I thought, no, I've done it again. So I thought I'd hold off before I went to the dessert bar. And I decided to order some coffee. I don't know if you're a coffee connoisseur here tonight. When that perfect cup of coffee arrived, just the right flavour, just the right strength. Oh, it's wonderful. And these coffees arrived and it was fantastic. And I began to drink and I was only about half the way through my coffee and I got this impression that I should get up and leave the restaurant. Uh, so that's what I did. I got up and I went over and paid my bill and I uh, left the restaurant, walked down the road. And as I turned the corner to where my van was parked, I heard this smash. And I looked down the road and there was two young guys breaking the side window of my van. And I yelled out and they took off in all directions over backyard fences and I ran down and I was literally seconds away from these young men stealing just about everything I owned in life at that time. I had two guitars in that van. I had all my clothes were in that van. Just about all the money I had was in that van. And it really hit home to me how true the words of Scripture are. As it says in Matthew, don't store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves up in Brisbane can break in and steal. No, store your treasures in heaven where they'll never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they'll be safe from thieves. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. You know, friends, it's not that God does, doesn't want us to be blessed in this life and to do well, you know, and to, and to succeed in life. Uh, in fact, you look through the Bible at the life of Solomon, Job. Uh, it was a sign of God's blessing often of those that pleased him. 
But as Billy Graham once said, there is nothing wrong with men possessing riches. The wrong comes when riches possess men. And I believe the thing we need to realize as we're talking about here this morning, uh, this evening, is that we are born into this world poor and we're going to die poor, very poor. In fact, you'll never see a hearse on the way to the graveyard with a U-Haul trailer pulling behind. At the end of the chess game, the, the king and the pawn go back into the same box. And I believe as the Bible says in Psalms, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. It says in the Bible, always remember, it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to become rich. And as Martin Luther said, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. And I believe what St. Augustine said was so true many years ago. Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. And I believe God is asking you tonight, have you allowed things in life, pursuing things, to come before getting your life right with God? You need to ask yourself that question. You know, there's another area that blinds many Australians to their need of Christ. Another area that causes people to drift away from God. And I believe it's so often a, a very strange area. And uh, we see this today on TV, played out and on social media, where uh, literally overnight people become celebrities. We see singing shows and cooking shows and shows I don't know what they are, but people are becoming celebrities overnight on uh, Instagram and things like that. The world is changing in that way and people are seeking fame and recognition, in it, even in a small way. They want to be recognized. But as the Bible says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. You know, right now in New South Wales, there's two country towns called Parks and Forbes. I was actually in Parks last weekend for an outreach. And uh, they're both very close on the map and uh, traditional rivals. And every year at the same time, they both put a festival on. One has a jazz festival. The other one has an Elvis Presley festival, if you can believe it. You've got to question a society that says that Elvis is alive, but God is dead. In fact, I was reading not long ago that in 1977... There was 33 Elvis impersonators in the entire world. By the year 1993, there was 48,000 Elvis impersonators in the world. They say at that rate of growth, by the year 2020, one in three people will be an Elvis impersonator. It's a worry, isn't it? I was looking at Pastor David tonight. I was worried about that. You know, but I was watching a show called Larry King. I don't know if you've seen Larry King live. It's... uh, an American talk show has been going for many, many years. And uh, Larry King was interviewing this night Priscilla Presley, uh, Elvis's former wife. And he asked her a very strange question. He asked her this. He said, what was Elvis like during his final days? And she thought for a moment and she said these words. She said, I believe that Elvis had lost direction. He'd lost purpose in life. He couldn't see what lay ahead. And I thought, what a tragedy. Arguably one of the most famous men of all time. Someone who'd achieved everything that so often you and I fight our lives to achieving. He had money. He had fame. He had talent. He had relationships. But he'd lost direction. He'd lost purpose in life. He couldn't see what lay ahead. The Bible says when you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, then he will lift you up and give you honour. I was watching a show interviewing Madonna not long ago and the interviewer asked this question. He said, what, what's it like all this fame you've got? And she said, fame, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy's dog. In fact, people don't realise what entrapment fame is until it's too late. 
And then he asked her about her money and her wealth. You know, what was that like? Has, has it been worth it? And her answer was one word, no. The Bible says just as it's not good to eat too much honey, it's not good to seek all the honours that we think we deserve. But I believe the key word, verse is in Matthew chapter 6 when we talk about this tonight. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now, friends, I want to touch on just one other area. I believe that blind many of us to our need of Christ, that blind us to knowing we can go to heaven when we die. And I believe it's a, it's a very uh, strange area where we see floods and fires and, and natural disasters happening. But we see a very strange thing happening. We see a flood of volunteers coming out of the woodwork, giving their time, their money, sometimes their very lives to helping their fellow man. We might see some famous person who has recently died after committing their entire life to helping society and their fellow man. And we say to ourselves in, us, in, a, in our inner man that, you know, if anyone's going to get to heaven, these people are. If God's going to let anyone in, it's got to be her. If God's going to let anyone into heaven, it's got to be these people. Look what they're doing with their lives. Look what they've done. God's got to understand. He's got to let them to heaven. But friend, don't be blind tonight. The Bible is very clear. If you want to go to heaven when you die, you better start reading the map because the doorway to heaven is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Ephesians, a very powerful verse, it says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Friends, we are saved by God's grace. And grace means unmerited. He can't earn it. There's nothing he can do. You know, if we could get to heaven by the things we do, be like me getting up there and walking around Peter and James and John, all who got there by the grace of God, saying, hey, I got here on my own. Look at all the things I did down on earth. I, I traveled and I prayed and I, I taught my kids to know the Lord. Look at all the things I did. Now I'm going to get to heaven. When they ask me what the password is, I'm going to say the grace of God via the cross of Jesus Christ. Friends, there's no other way. You know, you can go in society and join as many charities and do as many wonderful things, welfare groups, as you can find time to do. And that's fine as a citizen, but it doesn't make you a citizen of heaven. It may be an evidence that you are, but there is only one way, and that's via the cross of Jesus Christ. And you might say, Doug, what have I got to do? You know, I come to church. I'm a worker in the church. I'm a leader in the church. I didn't ask you that. I'm asking you tonight, have you been to the foot of the cross yourself? Each one of us need to come and make sure we're right before God. What do we need to do? The Bible is very clear. The first thing we must do is we need to come and we need to repent of the things in our life that have broken God's laws. We call it sin in the Bible. We don't like that word sin. It's an old word. We like the modern jargon, but the Bible from cover to cover wants us to know where we stand before God. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of his glorious standing. The Bible says there's not a single person in all the world who is always good and never sins. Friends, we're all sinners. And the Bible says we must come and repent of that sin. Repent is an old word as well, but it just means to change, to change your direction, to change your view on the way you're living your life. Say, God, I don't want to live that anymore. I want to follow your way. And the key is found in 1 John. When I was a teenager, I read this verse and it changed my life. It finally opened up what God's trying to say. In 1 John 1 verse 9, we all know this verse. It says in 1 John 1 verse 9, these words. It says, if you confess with your, if you confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from 50% of our unrighteousness. You read that? 
doesn't say that. It says he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what's the greatest definition you've heard of being right before your creator God? Be totally clean before God, right here in this verse, to be cleansed, to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Don't you want that in your life? Don't you want to go to bed tonight knowing that you're, you're clean before God? All the past is gone. Before God, you are right again. You've got a fresh start. You can have that tonight. And what's the only thing God asks right at the start of the verse? He says, but if you confess your sins to him, come to God tonight and confess your sin and say, yes, Lord, I've lived my own way. A lot of people come to me and say, Doug, I hear what you're saying, but I can't forgive myself for what I've done. There's too much in my life. How could God possibly forgive me? Friends, you can stand upon this word tonight where it says, if you confess your sins, he has promised to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just come to God tonight. The second thing you must do is to receive Jesus Christ, not just as Savior, but as Lord of your life. Give him total control. It says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart you're made right with God. It's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Come to God tonight and receive him as Savior and Lord of your life. Hand your life over to him. And the last thing you must do is from today on, live for God, follow his way. Three separate gospels say these words, it's only those that endure till the end that will be saved. Friend, it's not the faith you start with. It's the faith you finish with that saves you. If you're not sure tonight that your sins are forgiven, if you're not sure that you're, you're right before God, if you're not sure that if you would die tonight, none of us know. None of us know what's going to hold tomorrow or next week. If you are not sure, if you were to die at any time, you'd be going to heaven. If there's a doubt in your mind, you make sure. You say, Doug, what have I got to do? I'm going to show you right now what you need to do. And I, I'd like us right now just to bow our heads and close our eyes before Almighty God. Let's just bow and pray to God tonight. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are alive and well in 2019. Lord, you're in the business of changing lives. Lord, I thank you tonight for what you've done in my life. So many years ago, when I cried out to you, as your word says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, I'm a new creation. No one can tell me that you're not real because you've changed my life. And Lord, I believe your heart is, just as your word says, that none perish, but all come to know you. Lord, it says in your word, everyone, everyone here tonight, young and old, men and women, children, families, everyone who calls on your name will be saved. Lord, right now in Jesus' name, I just pray you would draw those tonight that need to come to you. Lord, not to a man, not to a church, to the foot of your cross. Lord, that this night with the turning point in their lives. Lord, not tomorrow, not next week, not way down the track in our life we've had a chance to live it up. Lord, today is the day. Never do you say wait. Never do you say tomorrow. You say now is the time. Today is the day. There's great danger in delaying. We may lose our reasoning powers tomorrow. We may not hear the gospel tomorrow. We may be dead tomorrow. Lord, today is the day. Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would draw those tonight that need to come to you, that this night with a turning point in many lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.